this is the latest Bolt from the Blue uh, podcast. And if you're a regular follower, you'll know that it's been a long time um, since uh, you've heard from us. And that's due, due to my own sort of uh, health um, situation. But uh, we're back and we're fighting and we're going to try to be a lot more regular. And uh, I have with me the two usual suspects. And so let's greet them before we review this period of our absence uh, from our online uh, podcast presence. So, first of all, we have Colin Savage, or you may know him as Prestwich Blue on Twitter. How are you doing, mate? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're um, back to, hopefully back to, well, full of fitness. You, <laughs> you, you are the Benjamin Mendy of Sergio Aguero, <laughs> all from the blue. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'll have to think about that comparison. Um, but uh, how have you been doing yourself, Colin, over this past month? Any notable events, any notable King of the Kipax um, pieces or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, well, King of the Kipax still going. I've just uh, got the new the new issue is out, number 274. It's just popped through my letterbox um, late last week. And I think it's available on Kindle. It's available by subscription. Um City Matters is back in action. We, um, we've we got a full complement of 10 reps now uh, for having retired on rotation and uh, four replacements having been voted in. So um, we're, we're firing on all cylinders on that front as well. Absolutely fantastic. Now, I'm sure you might suspect, but we also have City Fan TV's Ray here, of course. And after a month without any pods here, I'm sure... He must be chomping at the bit. But um, how, how's this uh, this last month been for, for you, uh, Ray? What have you been up to? And give us a few insights from your channel on, on YouTube and things you've been yeah. doing. Hi, Mike. And uh, hi to all the listeners. It's been very quiet, really, this last month, hasn't it, Matt? There's not really been that much interest in football to talk about. <laughs> uh, between. <laughs> it, <laughs> to be honest, it's been a belting time, hasn't it? It's It's fantastic to see... Um, in the space of just a few weeks, and I'm sure we'll, we'll just touch on it to here and there, um, that the rabble from down the um, East Lanks Road over in Liverpool, you know, um, Liverpool FC, their fans have been remarkably quiet, uh, <laughs> noticeably absent on uh, social media. I was commenting to a friend, a Liverpool fan, who I've not heard from for, for a while. I was actually quite worried about him and he popped up today and said look I've been really busy with work and that's why I've not been around but the, the funny thing is his busyness at work has coincided with Liverpool's terrible downturn in their fortunes and basically not scoring scoring a goal um, in the Premier League this year in 2021 uh, even John Stone's balls have got more goals than Liverpool this season uh, this, this 2021 <laughs> I'm sure we'll come on to that, um, but, but, it, but, it's, it's, but it has been heartening. The only disheartening thing is you've got the the the, the rabble that are a bit closer uh, from Old Trafford, uh, who are you know talking about how wonderful their team is and how they're going to win the league and they're going to win this and they're going to win that. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the game uh, that they didn't win and the cup that they're not going to win uh, after playing us uh, a few weeks ago, um, a couple of weeks ago. So it's been up and down, but generally for City, I've always said if City wins, while City are winning, that kind of um, colours your view of life. And if, if, if you, I'll be honest, if it wasn't for City and, and, the, and the way we've been playing and the way we've been winning, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not um, spoiling anybody's <laughs> pod by saying that. 
who doesn't know the results over the last uh, month. Uh, but when, you know, if it wasn't for that, you'd think more about what's going on in the outside world. And let's just take football right now. Yeah, I think we're going to do that. Um, I think all City fans would uh, would um, agree that it has been very uh, heartening. Uh, I think more entertaining is a better better word. Watching, you know, Klopp losing it and trying to fight with Sean Dyche and and uh, that, that that beautiful art article I think by Jonathan Wilson in in the Guardian where he said that it's actually Solskjaer's lack of philosophy and lack of tactical. Uh, now that has contributed to this winning run that they're on. I think that was, you know, quite uh, quite an interesting observation. But anyway, uh, guys, as I as I mentioned before, the last pod that we put out was on the nineteenth of December. That's just over a month ago, and it was the one for the one nil win against Southampton. And what we've done is we've queued up Mister uh, Colin Savage here. Because uh, since uh, that time, I think there's been um, nine games that you haven't heard from us on. And of course, we don't have the ability to talk for 50 minutes about each one. But what what we can do is the lads, I've got the lads here to uh, just go through the results and any major events that might have happened uh, either before or between games and to just give us a their comments about uh, any particular moments or goals or incidents of interest. And uh, then we'll talk a little bit uh, in more detail about the last two, which is, of course, um, the 2-0 win against Aston Villa and then the latest game in the FA Cup against Cheltenham. So we're going to ask Colin to start off and say, uh, and ask, so since that last game, that 1-0 win against Southampton that we podded about, what's happened since then, Colin? Well, to go down the list, uh, we went to Arsenal in the League Cup quarterfinal and we won there uh, 4-1 fairly comfortably, which incredibly we're used to doing these days. Now, I, I remember going um, going to the Emirates um, early, in Man- uh, early in Mancini's reign, I think it was. Uh, and it, again, the game was played at a similar time. I think it was just after New Year. And, and we grimly held on for a nil-nil draw. And um, I, I'm not sure how we did it because Arsenal battered us the first 25 minutes. But now we're, we're now we're going used to going to the Emirates and sticking three or four past them, which uh, I think, uh, well, I, obviously is a lot to do with our rise uh, and a lot to do with their fall as well. So so that was um, because they, uh, they'd looked to show a little bit of form under Arteta. Although um, they were stuttering a bit at that particular time, but but uh, so that was a game I was a bit nervous about. Uh, Just to quickly say to, uh, the four-one win against Arsenal, obviously uh, um, we were used to winning them, uh, beating them by three clear goals or getting three goals in games. Now, Gabby Jesus got a header. He actually had his eyes open and he hit it with his head, not his shoulder, <laughs> which is a nice thing to do. We saw why Emeric Laporte isn't getting into this uh, side. I'm sure we'll touch on it again later because it was his error. Uh, being on the wrong side of Lacazette, which allowed him to score the equaliser. We saw Mahrez's free kick. Uh, Ma- and uh, I'm sure I'll talk about Mahrez uh, uh, quite a lot uh, today, um, which was actually a poor free kick straight down the go- uh, goalkeeper's throat. Unfortunately, the goalkeeper had, uh, had butter fingers and he let it through. And that got us the, the lead. Wonderful run by Fernandinho. And he shows why, for me, he's still the best defensive midfielder we've got, why uh, I've been uh, uh, clamouring on my channel for him to have a new extension on his contract because he made a run 
Um, I think he, he, he laid the ball off and he went out running down the left wing to get the return of this pass. Now, Gundogan wouldn't have made that run and Rodri, Rodri would have even dreamt of it. And, but Fernandinho had made that run. A beautiful little ball into uh, Foden who scored a, a goal. So it's fantastic. And then Laporte got ahead later on. It was interesting that game because even though Arsenal's form, had been, I think, had been a bit patchy and there were a lot of Arsenal fans calling for Arteta's head. They thought he was going to get sacked after losing to City. And, and suddenly... Uh, when he was in trouble, he, he pulled out three wins on the bounce and they, that kind of placated the Arsenal fans. And suddenly there were three points off Chelsea and they were they were now going to be world beaters. And after the loss in the FA Cup yesterday, they're asking for his head again. So I, I'd like to think, even though we've got a few dodgy fans ourselves, um, we're not as we're certainly not as bad as the Arsenal fans. When you look at other fan bases, you see what Arsenal fans are turning on the manager every two minutes. The Liverpool fans are, are, are a cult and they're deluded. Uh, and United fans, they're not, they're not even worth mentioning. So, um, you know, at least I, I'm glad Arteta didn't get sacked. So Colin's going to uh, continue by uh, steering yeah. us through. So Boxing Day, we saw um, Newcastle come to the Etihad. And of course, that should have been the game where we had 2,000 fans in the stadium, but the lockdown ended that possibility, unfortunately. And and I think up to up to new, you know up to about that time, maybe the, the Arsenal game, we've been a bit our form had been a bit meh, you know. Um, and we were we were still waiting to for a large degree to see the real what what we what we believe is the real Manchester City. Um, and because yeah, you know, we'd had the draw to West Brom, we'd had that very turgid draw at Old Trafford. Uh, we'd had a, a hard fought but a decent win against Southampton. The, the Newcastle game was a bit the same. 2-0 could have been a lot more, should have been a lot more. Uh, the, the, that keeper, Carl Darlow, I think is a great keeper, had, had a fantastic game. But um, And apparently it was the 26th consecutive game where we'd scored against Newcastle, um, yeah. which is quite an interesting stat. But yeah, so you, you know, beating Newcastle, yeah, you know, Shouldn't be not certainly nothing beyond us, um, but yeah, again, it, it seemed like a little bit the old underperforming city to a large degree. Uh, and then, of course, we had the game at Everton cancelled through COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, obviously, the game did play, we can't talk about it, but I think it is worth talking about the media reaction to that, which, which kind of sums up the media reaction to anything city related. I'm sure we'll talk about the Aston Villa game, uh, later on and, and the uh, the fuss about offside mm-hmm. city tested a number of players who term, who were positive for COVID. Now, now, now there's a testing protocol. Um, I think the players are tested twice a week. And you've got to be very careful. This was only the day before the game. And you've got to be very careful uh, to control the outbreak. Uh, and it takes, you know, two or three days to understand how far it might have spread. So going to Everton with, what, three or five players potentially with tested positive for COVID without understanding that we got it under control, without knowing that we got it under control, and that was the extent of it, was an incredibly, would have been an incredibly risky thing to do. Yet we got canned in the media for, for uh, what, you know, trying to, org- almost like trying to um, defraud whatever you want to call a con our way to an extra game's rest. When in fact, uh, and people say, well, so-and-so played and so-and-so played, but, you know, they, they were happy they got the COVID outbreak under control within the camp. You know, and imagine if we'd gone to Everton and a load of the Everton players and staff had come down with it. Of course, we'd have been told we were irresponsible. So that was really annoying to see that. And it just really sums up the way the media react to anything City-related in a negative way where they can. Yeah, anyway, even, it's, it's, even, the, 
even the mild-mannered, normally mild-mannered Gary Lineker weighed in on that and said that, um, as far as I understand it, um, if you've got 14 players, then you can you can have the game go on. He, he just was a little bit out of yeah. touch with the COVID and what that means. And, and even the Everton but, official Twitter account put out a fairly graceless tweet. Oh, yeah. He say, yeah. didn't say anything about we wish Manchester City affected players and staff well. Uh, and, and Ancelotti said that Guardiola spoke to him. You know, they were, yeah. they were saying, we, we had, well, out. and God, we did speak to Everton from what we said. Um, it was the Premier League who called the game off because of the risks. And it's about managing risks. So uh, that was a bit, of anno- a bit of annoying. But I say, if they can turn anything into a negative where City are concerned, we know they will do. It's, it's the fact that they th- said we were scared to play, we wanted the rest. Actually, Everton's best players weren't going to be available. Hamis Rodriguez was out. We had to rearrange that game. So that's another game in our schedule. And we haven't got a schedule. We haven't got space in our schedule. Yeah, if we keep not. winning games, we haven't got space. You know, I've I worked out if we get to the fragments here, we get to the Champions League final. Uh, I, I, and we, we would be playing games every three days because we've now got five months and a week left of the season. The Champions League final is at the end of uh, May. And we've still got in the league, was it 20 games to go in the league? Um, in the League Cup, we've got a game. The Champions League, there's two, four, six, potentially seven games. And in the FA Cup, we've got another, I think, four games, potentially. Where are you going to squeeze this in? So there's absolutely no way City would want to delay anything, um, any games and postpone them. We, we're desperate to squeeze the games in. Uh, it's just a crazy notion. Yeah. But um, obviously that did give us a bit, <laughs> did give us a bit of a rest, <laughs> I guess, before the, the crucial Chelsea game. For me, um, all right, you know, Chelsea have been very up and down and there's talk about Frank Lampard's future, but... To me, this was our biggest test, and, and it was a game I was very nervous about going into. But I think for the first time, we saw a return to what we consider the norm under Pep, uh, an absolutely dominant performance against Chelsea, where we, um, you know, we, we could have scored more. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we were three goals up, uh, two goals up quite quickly, uh, and, and only spoiled our record of clean sheets uh, by letting a very late goal. Uh, scored by Callum Hudson-Odoi. And um, I think that came as a revelation to, to many of us to see that performance because it was the city of the, um, you know, the 2018-2019 seasons. Yeah, Array, I, I mean, Chelsea are, are, Chelsea are like so many teams this season. It's just hard to work out and what's going on with them. They're up and down. They're, you well, know... They're on the slide at the moment, aren't they, Mike? They're on the slide. They're dropping on the table. This, as, as, as Collins mentioned, this talk about the future of Frank Lampard. This, this talk about, you know, <laughs> they might not like it. You know, Rafa Benitez is out of a job at the moment. and He's left his job in China. You never know. Yeah. He might come back and do some caretaker work there. Because, um, you know, no matter how much the fans love Frank Lampard, uh, Abramovich is a bit more hard-nosed. I mean, he's fired... Um, you know, Mourinho a couple of times and there's nothing to stop him firing Lampard because the results aren't there. And in this day and age, results mean money. If Chelsea are not in the Champions League, that's a lot of money. And if they're not in any, you know, the way they are now, I, I don't know exactly why they're in the league, but when you've um, got Arsenal snapping at your heels, then you've got, you got to worry about that I, Chelsea game. I, 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 I think just, it was um, just after this this game, wasn't it? Uh, we, men- we mentioned, Colin, your your work for the king of the Kipax. But of course, after it was after this game, I think you, you reminded me uh, that it, that we lost the real king of the Kipax, 
um, Colin yeah. Beck. Yeah, that was terrible. Um, uh, yeah, devastating news. He was only 74, I think. Yeah. Uh, he had been in hospital for quite a while, I think for a, a couple of months. But but being Colin Bell and a very private man, um, no one really knew about it till he came home. Uh, he was home over Christmas, but of course died soon afterwards. Um, I, th- I think it was heart problems he had, for what I gather. But um, and, and it was, you know, you know, people die and, and, and you think how sad and life goes on. But you know, for 24 hours, I was genuinely devastated by that news because he was my hero growing up. And, you know, if we've got younger listeners and they don't understand what, what Colin Bell was, what sort of a player he was, um, he was a player, and everyone said it, he, could, he was a player who could do everything. You know, and if you compare him to, to players perhaps uh, newer City fans, will, newer or younger City fans will be more familiar with, you know, he had the, the ability on the ball of Kevin De Bruyne. You know, maybe not some of the absolutely pinpoint passes but he was a pinpoint passer he could he could ping a pass 40 yards out to the wings um he had the athleticism of peak yaya Toure without needing to stop for oxygen after every run um you know he could run and run and run all game apparently his heart rate was his resting heart rate was something like 40 beats per minute which is about something like half mine wow uh and he was probably well, he, he was probably the most athletic player of his generation. Um, you know, where, where he he would do training runs, uh, and players would be gasping for breath and, and and kind of being sick after the run, and he was barely out of breath. Um, and he also was a goal scorer. Um, I, I, people often compare him to David Silva, but I, I always say it was a, the wrong comparison because they were completely different players. And, and for me, the the one thing that set Colin Bell apart from David Silva was his ruthlessness in front of goal. Uh, he could score with both feet, his head. Uh, and you may have seen the clip of a brilliant goal against Chelsea where the ball is played diagonally in from the left-hand side, comes to him, he's beyond the Chelsea back line, and he just hits it first time, folly, from a 45-degree angle into the Chelsea net. And uh, that was Colin Bell. Would for, for people who are sort of maybe around the 40-ish mark, um, would he be... Even slightly, if they if people want to really understand what he was like, would would he be slightly comparable to someone like Steven Gerrard or peak Steven Gerrard or or even yeah. better? Yeah, I, I, I always used to I used to t- tell my son if you want to know what Colin Bell was like, look at someone like Steven Gerrard. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, that's not a bad comparison in some ways, and that's what I, I use I, myself. I the, the biggest difference between um, Gerrard and uh, Colin Bell is Colin Bell was humble with it. He, the humility <laughs> well, he showed. Yes. He didn't like the limelight, really. He didn't like, you know, all that pizzazz. Um, I, I met him many times after games uh, at the Etihad. We're doing filming for for City Fan TV, uh, and he's always you know, polite and a gentleman. He's always there with, uh, generally with Tony Book. Tony Book people would you know, he'd be signing autographs for sometimes five minutes after a game, Bucky. Uh, you know, and it was really nice to see them. Occasionally, you saw some them with some other stars. I think, I think we, uh, I think were you there, Mike, when we met Glimpardo as well um, a couple of yeah. years ago against Chelsea when we beat them six nil. They're all love, really lovely. They, they will stand, you know, stand around and chat. You got, and you remember some of the, you know, they're, they're in the seventies or I think Bucky's in his eighties now, and they'll stand around and talk because you know they, I think they, they do realise what they meant to City fans. Um, and uh, it's as, as Colin said, it really was devastating. I and mean, I never, you know, he he came back from injury. Was it in seventy seven? 
Um, 77, that's right, yeah. And that's a little bit before my time. I think my first game was 79. So, and I think he, he was he was out that season in 79, if I remember correctly. Um, um, so I didn't see him play. I knew of him, obviously, because uh, when I was growing up in the 70s, anything to do with football, you know, watching it on TV, going to the library, um, getting books, reading newspapers, whatever you could uh, on football, I would devour. And uh, obviously you knew of the of the importance of Colin Bell to the Manchester City history. Mm-hmm. Right, I think uh, one thing that, that I always remember is uh, this clip on YouTube uh, where he he just didn't celebrate goals, and there's an there's an image of of a, of a one a particular wonder goal where the the city players his his own colleagues are trying to get him to celebrate, and he's just too interested in running back to the centre circle. Yeah, I think it was that Chelsea goal, goal right. in Chelsea, Stamford Bridge. Yeah, yeah. I, a couple of stories about him actually, which um, one personal. Uh, I I did I was lucky enough to get to meet him. Uh, when Gary James had his uh, book launch for his Manchester, the City Years, brilliant book. And uh, I, I was invited along. I'd been interviewed for the book. Uh, and I walked into the room, which is the National Football Museum, and uh, bumped into Glimpardo, uh, who's, who, again, the late Glimpardo, who was a lovely, lovely guy. Uh, I walked in and saw Col- yeah, my, my, probably my two heroes, Colin Bell and Dennis Stewart, stood there. And like a kid in the sweet shop, I, I did get to have a chance to Colin Bell, and, uh, you know, a lovely quiet humble guy but many years ago um i told i told this um story in king of the kip act my mum had a, uh, a cafe in manchester in what's hanging uh, hanging ditch the triangle and it wasn't a greasy spoon play it wasn't a restaurant but it wasn't a greasy spoon cafe either. they got an, quite an upmarket business clientele in there and um one of the regulars was uh, mike summerby and, and george best as well uh mike had a shirt business a bespoke shirt business with a guy called Frank Rostron. The business is still going, actually. Frank Rostron is still there in Manchester, just moved. And uh, in the school holidays, it was my teen, early teens, um, I'd go in and work on the sandwich counter at lunchtime, which was very busy, help them out. I'm sure I wasn't much help, but um, did my bit. Uh, and then, you know, about half past one, two o'clock, everything would calm down. The lunch trade would be over. Uh, and we'd have some afternoon tea trade. Uh, and very late one one weekday, Mike Summerby walked in on his own, uh, on you, on unusually and uh, he wanted some lunch and i was there i finished he said go oh, come come and join me for lunch I, you know we'll have a chat and i was asking uh, so it would have been oh i'm trying to remember it must have been the mercer allison days i'm sure yeah it would have been i was asking and we, we got talking about malcolm allison as a coach and i said well you know what makes malcolm such a great coach uh, and mike talked about his training routine you know how he got the players going he said but the biggest thing is psychology he said he knows exactly how to motivate each individual player and he said because we're all different and he said me he said he winds me up he gets me riled he gets me fired up he said i'll often go storming off to see joe mercer and joe will calm me down joe knows exactly what he's doing what malcolm is doing to me he'll calm me down but make sure i'm fired up and he said that's how he gets the best out of me when i go out to play and i'm 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 no angry with him he said that's that's my best so, but you take someone like Neil Young, a very quiet guy, a bit fragile, confidence, and, and Neil needs an arm around the shoulder, you know, to cheer him up and give him a bit of confidence. And I asked about Colin Bell. I said, you know, how does he motivate Colin Bell? He said, and it, Mike laughed and he said, he doesn't need to. Colin just motivates himself, uh, and uh, which is an incredible story. You know, when you think um, you think back to those days when when uh, footballers didn't take their craft maybe quite as seriously in terms of the technical 
side that that that, that they do today. Um, you know, Colin Bell just just motivated himself. And um, the, the other story I read this recently after he died that because City uh, brought him back as an ambassador, which is one of the best things they ever did, and he would go around the hospitality suites, the boxes at, uh, before the game and half time and after the game. But he was insistent he would never go into a box that hadn't specifically asked him to visit. And someone said to him, why? Uh, and he said, well, I don't believe in forcing myself on people. You know, and there's our greatest ever player who any City fan or even any football fan would have been delighted to see. He wouldn't go in unless, uh, because he felt he was intruding if someone hadn't asked for him. And I'll tell you what, guys, um, if you want to, if you want a, a, some kind of visual evidence of, of, uh, Colin Bell's um, self-motivation. Um, there's some interesting uh, YouTube uh, video. Uh, it's of, of a, uh, the the period uh, after his injury and when he was trying to to get fit again. And so he'd had this devastating injury, but he was literally out pounding the 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 streets, you, you know, running uh, basically round round on that on that hard you know concrete surface on the pavements and the road running and running and running and running possibly you know not the you know with modern sort of science not not exactly the 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 right thing to do but i mean you just i mean incredible incredible motivation and um i think uh, i think ray was right there in in pointing out the difference between even a an excellent uh player like uh, Stephen Gerrard and Colin Bell because there would be no way that you'd get Colin Bell running over to the cameras and screaming into it and, oh, uh, and all, 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 all the rest of it but um, that, that was and that. I think yeah he would have he could have played in Pep's team there's no doubt about it. when you think about the yeah. better pitches the better conditioning the better training uh, he, he'd have fitted in so easily and you can't say that about many players even at 74 he could have fitted in <laughs> <laughs> well, Colin, what happened after uh, that lovely 3-1 win against Chelsea? Well, that seemed to be the turning point. We went to Old Trafford in the League Cup semi-final. And I say, we'd had a fairly turgid nil-nil draw there in the league where both sides looked as though they settled for extra time and penalties, to be honest. If it, well, if it had been a cup game. But again, we went there and we established what, what has been our traditional uh, recent dominance over them with a fairly emphatic 2-0 uh, win. I mean, neither... Neither goals would win goal of the month, I think. So, um, John, you know, we always laughed at it. Guardiola said John Stones had the biggest balls at the club and he used them to score the opening goal from across. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, of course, uh, Fernandinho got the second. It, it was a bit nerve wracking. It was a good good game. Fernandinho got the second. Uh, again, wasn't as clear a strike, but it was enough to, to go in. And, and um, that was um, philosophy less United out of the League Cup, setting us up for a. Revenge for 1981, 40 years on, with Spurs at Wembley. I'll tell you, that game against United was interesting. That first minute, I've got my notes here, United did not touch the ball for the first minute. That first minute and 15 seconds, we just passed it around. And I'd felt in the Chelsea game, I think Pep said, we're back, basically. He said, that's like the City from two years ago. You could... and, And the one thing... I mean, I was going to mention it later, but I'll mention it now. The one thing you could see is the difference in Pep. He's got that look in his eye again. He's got that yeah. look in his eye that, you know, I don't want to jinx anything, but... Is that because he's just turned 50 and he's joined our club? No, he's turned 50. But the thing is, 
I haven't. I didn't see this last season. I didn't see this at all last season. Pep's really looks excited. Like that season, that Centurions or the formidable season, he's got that buzz back. You know, and if anybody wants to think, you know, many of us did question whether Pep should stay, especially when we're going through that bad patch and he hadn't signed an extension and all that. Because um, he he didn't look right. Right now, he looks right. He looks back 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 on it. And and to be honest. United were in that game, and their fans, you know, they looked at that and thought, if they, in in the in the heart, they thought, you know, we can't win the league. We're not as, we're not half as good as the City team, and I think City showed them that we are back to being. We are the best team in the country by a country mile. We just got to get the results to show that. So, what next, Colin? Uh, the next was uh, relatively straightforward. So we had a third round FA Cup tie against Birmingham City, um, who obviously we haven't played for a little while. And um, as expected, that was at the Etihad and unexpected. That was, um, you know, the quality of the performance was uh, excellent. Um, And uh, within, well, just on the half, just after the half hour mark, we put that game to bed. So um, we were two up inside 15 minutes, uh, got the third just after the half hour mark, Phil Foden. Uh, Bernardo got off off to a goal scoring start. He's coming uh, back a bit, isn't he? He's definitely coming back, but this is one of the things I think that has revitalised us. Bernardo is definitely back to his buzzing best, you know, testing the opposition midfield and defence and, and popping up all over the field, which is um, great to see. Uh, so, so you know, two good goals from him. Phil Foden stepped up again. Uh, good assist from uh, Riyad Mahrez. Um uh, you know, and it was just a very routine. I, I think it's a sort of an win. understatement. That was, um, despite what um, people say about Morris, and I know he divides opinions, but that was struck with the uh, the outside of the right foot, I think. Yeah. And uh, people were purring over that. I mean, he certainly got the, the, the silky skills. Uh, there's no doubt about he, that. He's got the technical skills, there's no doubt about that. But, um, you know, I don't think we see him enough in games. And uh, I think yeah. we'll talk about that in the Cheltenham game. Yeah. So, so that was FA Cup third round. Um, safely out the way, um, which, which set up our tie yesterday with Cheltenham. Yeah, so three days after our, our progress in the FA Cup, we had Brighton at home, which was normally not a game that would give us any cause for concern, but I think it was the closest we've come to, um, well, until yesterday, closest we've come to getting beaten uh, so far. I mean, Brighton came, uh, were highly organised um, and looked like shutting us out, but... Um, Fortunately, I think Phil Foden was our saviour with a wonderful touch and turn to score just before half time. Uh, and the one thing about Brighton is, uh, you know, you don't expect them to score two goals. That you know, they're not the biggest goal scorers. Um, and and it, it was a difficult game. Say Brighton. And the interesting thing was, teams normally sit back, put ten men behind the ball, but Brighton actually came and did try to play football, and I was quite impressed with that. Um, but again, you know. Uh, you know, we we got home uh, and again kept another clean sheet. And I think this is the thing. Um, one of the big uh, things, um, catalysts for our success is uh, John Stones and Ruben Dias at centre back, because we've oh, now yeah. got a settled partnership who are playing every game and they're not letting goals in. And and the resurgence of John Stones has absolutely been brilliant. Yeah, uh, and, and in fact, this little sequence, guys, that we're describing from our last pod where we we had a clean sheet against Southampton. So counting Southampton in this stretch until uh, yesterday's game, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven clean sheets. It's pretty impressive. 
in the league. I think they've only let one goal in in the league, and that was um, in the last was it two goals in ten? Yeah, in in, in injury time. I, I just think. Uh, They've been a wonderful partnership, complementing each other. And people can still turn around and say, well, you know, a lot of City fans are disappointed that Laporte's not there and they say he's better than John Stones. But as a partnership, um, I think the sum of the parts, uh, let's get this work, let's get this the right way around. Um, they, they're, they're much, uh, the synergy's there. So they're more than the sum of the parts. I got it out eventually. Um, as Stones and, and Diaz, and I, I really do think they complement each the way they play. Uh, John Stones carries the ball so well. He's so much better at carrying the ball. I, I, I don't think I can remember him this season losing the ball when, when he's carried it out. Maybe once. But he just carries the ball so well, glides past players, um, and it's just wonderful to watch. Um, Colin, just a quick question for you here, because obviously you mentioned um, Phil Foden. Uh, we know now that Kevin De Bruyne's out f- um, for between four and six weeks, but the form of both Foden and Bernardo Silva, does that give you confidence that rather than looking at this as a terrible setback that will cost us dearly, does it not make you think that, um, well, in the, with the form of these two guys and, uh, and actually Kevin De Bruyne getting a good rest, it might actually be a blessing in disguise? Well, yeah. I mean, we've got, um, you know, you look at our midfield options now, we've got... Um, you know, people criticise Rodri, but he does a solid enough job. He's not Fernandinho, but that seems to be his main crime uh, in the eyes of some City fans. Uh, and then, you know, we've got Foden, we've got Bernardo, we've got uh, Ilke Gundogan, who was in the form of his life. Um, yeah, of course, you're always going to miss a player like Kevin De Bruyne, but I don't think he's been playing at his, you know, I, I think he's been about a 7 out of 10. And a Kevin De Bruyne, a 7 out of 10. Is still better than a lot of other players, 10 out of 10. Um, but I, I still don't think we're seeing this sustained brilliance from Kevin De Bruyne that we've seen in other seasons. Uh, if people think that's a bit harsh, well, um, that, that's my opinion. But obviously, he's very, very good. You know, and he can put in passes like the one um, the one he did for John Stones to score um, against uh, Villa. Uh, absolutely wonderful pass. Um where he was almost blind, you know, was almost guessing where Stones would have been. But yeah, we we uh, we went through. Didn't we go through the um, which season was it? Was it no? It was the was it the trouble winning season? We went through mostly without him. Yeah, and, we, um, we, uh, we had David Silver, uh, which made a difference. But you know, we've got we've we've now got three very very good options in midfield, uh, and you know, you wonder now who to leave out. And, and before we talk about Villa, there was a game before that one, and that was Crystal Palace. Yeah. And again, that's a team that's given us problems the last uh, couple of seasons. We played them at the Etihad. We've only got one point out of a possible six, but we absolutely brushed them aside. Um, no messing. And uh, I think it took us a bit of time to get going in that game. Personally, sorry, Colin. I think it did take us uh, the first 20, 25 minutes. I felt we were a little bit slow, but as soon as we we got going um, and scored the goal in, uh, in the first half and then carried on in the second half, we absolutely battered them in the end and you know, no one would have complained if it was six or seven. Pick of the yeah. goals, because I've I've got one, I think. What was your favourite one in the 4-0 win against Palace? Oh, sorry, I, I, I said the Stones one was Villa, didn't I? I think it was the, um, oh. that was the Stones header from the mm. Kevin De Bruyne pass. Sorry, yeah, that wasn't mm. Villa, it, was, it mm. was Palace. But, mm. I mean, there were some crackers, weren't there? There were. Well, I think the Sterling free kick is what a lot of people remember at the end of the game. But I think Gundogan scored a yep. great goal. Oh, so. that's that's the one I was thinking of, guys. Gundogan. Oh, yeah, the Gundogan one went in almost the same spot, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, my dad is not easily impressed by um, 
modern um, Premier League players, but even he was saying that, that was a cracking goal. The the Gundogan goal, the way that he moved it um, out of his feet, the way that he um, oh. evaded the challenges, and that was pinpoint in the postage stamp, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, and it showed it showed City fans what Gundogan really is. Um, you know, very very clever, very talented player who can find the goal. But when when let's be honest, Kevin De Bruyne has been struggling. I know Gundogan, as you said, he's in the form of his life, isn't it? The, uh, did I read something like five five goals in the last five or six games? Yeah. Something, something like, like that. that yeah. Five, something like that. Five in seven, like that. Carabao Cup wins five in the last seven years. Um, he's been, the funny thing is, it's been a lot. It's, it's quite funny, um, interesting watching on social media because a lot of, uh, well, quite a few fans have been slagging him off last season and, and this, uh, having a pop at him for City's wars. Uh, are suddenly turning around and said uh, they, they always trusted in him. They always knew he was he was good enough. He just needed a bit of time and this and, that. and it's the same with Stones and. Um, you know, it's it's a shame that some of our play, players get scapegoated so easily, um, undeservedly. And I, I've always said, you know, about Ilkay Gundogan, give him t- space and time. He's world class. Give him space and time. This season, he really has stepped up. Uh, there's no denying that he stepped up. And you know, it's hard to say it, but dare I say, it, he's taken away some of the pain of losing David Silva. Uh, the way he stepped up because he's covered up for, for, for some of you know what David Silva used to do as well. So it, it's a fantastic, it's fantastic to have him playing in this form. 